0: Welcome to Up Close with Chris Tenney. Don't forget to visit christenney.com for more information about today's topics and download the new Spread Peace app that makes it easy to take action and advocate for the causes you care about. And now, here's your host, Chris Tenney.
1: Welcome
2: back to our show. What a week, guys. We uh, Thank you for all the comments on Facebook from last week's show and, and all the previous shows. Voice America tells me, my producer told me earlier this week, we were the number one show of a new host that they've had. So thank you for making that happen. Th- this show really isn't just about this one hour, guys. This is about coming together and creating a community of people. My goal is to give you act- actionable items, things that when you get done, you say, wow, I can do that. And and know that you're making a real difference. And today I'm really excited because we're going to get, be getting up close and learning all about the Surf Rider Foundation from the CEO, Dr. Chad Nelson. And folks, if you're not familiar with the Surf Rider Foundation, I I first became aware of it. Gosh, it must have been five or six years ago. I was in the San Diego area and my friends were telling me they were all going down to the beach and I should come and it would be fun. And I, what are you gonna do? We're gonna pick up garbage. I said, Well, that's gonna be fun. they said, Yeah, no, it is. We're gonna surf. We're gonna and and then as I went up and down the coast, you know, with with, with what Taish and I were doing, I met more and more people that were involved in this. And I thought, boy, this is a, a real sleeper of an organization because in, in thirty-five years, they've grown into having over 84 chapters. 30 high schools and colleges are involved in it, more than two hundred. Hundred and fifty thousand supporters, volunteers, and activists around the country. This is an organization that uh, Surfer Magazine listed the top 10 nonprofits that, that uh, surfers should be involved in or could get involved in and feel good about. Number one right at the top of the list is the Surfrider Foundation. Uh, and our guest today has... has uh, been there for, for, gosh, about 16, 18 years as their environmental director, and last year became the CEO. And then the Orange County Register named him as one of the 100 most influential people in Orange County. So I'm really excited, folks. I, I hope you really pay attention to this. If you're listening online, click some of the links to below the show so that you can see this organization, the campaigns, and, and what they're involved in. So thank you so much for being with us, uh, 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 Dr. Nelson.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. Look forward to talking to
2: you. Now, I, I, when I had you on the show, I was doing the show prep. I got really excited. You popped on while I was talking to the producer. And I, I said, anybody who's got a PhD in surfonomics, I was on the, the Duke <laughs> alumni, and actually they, Duke was saying that you were one of the people that actually helped create that program. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your, your background real quick.
3: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. You know, I got a master's degree in uh, coastal environmental management, which is like an MBA for protecting the ocean um, at Duke. And then I went on to UCLA to study natural resource economics. So, you know, and basically what that is, is trying to understand, you know, how our natural environments, you know, produce important um, economic values. And so what I did is I just pointed that sort of field of science towards surfing and looked at, you know, how surfers um, impact coastal tourism and what values are uh, found around surf spots. And, you know, it's I think because of the old stereotype of the burned out sort of, you know, surfer, lazy, dropout surfer. You know, people didn't really think about it. But it turns out, you know, surfers travel the world. They're uh, very avid users of the ocean. In fact, they use the ocean more than any other user group. Um, And when they go visit these surf spots, they spend a lot of money. Whether it's at surf shops, at restaurants, at gas stations, and so you know, I, I started looking at that uh, the impact of surfers, and they they really have a huge impact on the coastal economy, these surf towns, and so by measuring that, I was really able to sort of help change the perception of the surfing community and. You know, all we got to do is keep our oceans clean. Something we'll talk about. Um, right. And these surfers are going to continue to come and spend money in these towns all over the world. So that's the that's the theory behind surfonomics.
2: Wow. Well, that, that that's man. I wish I would have known I could go get a degree like that. <laughs> you know, I want to ask you about the ocean and, <laughs> and the challenges that we face. But you know, I guess the thing that's in the news right now is the shark attack with Mick Fanning. And and I and I was watching that. First of all, big shout out to to Mick and especially Julian swimming out to. to and save him. I, I think fifteen million uh, views when I checked before the show. But I, I was watching that and I was wondering uh I don't know if I should call you doctor. I didn't even know you were a doctor until I started doing my show prep because you never call yourself that <laughs> can no, I call you chat? <laughs> okay. All right. Well Absolutely. Okay, I'll get comfortable since we're a, we're a surfing surfing culture here. I was watching that Surf Attack, and I was thinking, is that is that is that the uh, sharks coming in? I mean, are we overfishing, and they're coming in? Maybe you could comment a little bit about you know what the factors might be that can come into play with with some of these species coming into areas, or maybe they maybe they are in that area. Uh, I, I don't know. Sure. I mean,
3: are yeah.
2: They, I mean, well,
3: first of all. This is, you know, this is the fi- Yeah, this was the finals of one of the, you know, World Championship tour surfing events. Um right. Two Guys in the Water at Jeffrey's Bay, which is a world famous surf spot in uh, South Africa, also known for an area where there are a lot of sharks. And it was the oh, first time, you know, in sort of professional surfing history that anybody's been ever sort of attacked and whether he was attacked or not, I think it's up to debate. We should talk about, but you're right. Mick Fanning's response and Julian Wilson, the other guy in the water who actually, instead of running away, went to go help him both heroic guys and just class acts. But, you know, to your, to your question, you know, the reality is, is actually that you know 90% of the world's sharks have been fished out of the oceans. And so there's actually many fewer sharks in the oceans today than there ever has been. Uh, you know, there are clearly more people in the ocean and more people using the ocean than ever before. And I think that in combination with social media and all these tools, whether it's drones or GoPros or cameras, right. I, I think we're actually just documenting uh, the the sort of instances more often I think you know ten years ago if this had happened you would have never heard of it only sort of the diehard surfing community would have would have known anything about it Um, so you know there have been a lot of shark instances incidences lately but you know at the end of the day
2: it's still more dangerous to drive to the surf spot than it is to get in the water right well that's something to remember well maybe you can share with me a little <laughs> bit about you know before we get into surf rider and what you do you know why do the oceans matter to us? What you know? What impact? And, and then I guess you could follow that up with. I mean, what impact could we possibly have on this? I've seen the. I mean, last month you you joined a whole bunch of nonprofits worldwide to bring awareness to the problem of, of plastics and and what they're doing to our environment. I've seen pictures of these big. They call them the floating yeah. plastic islands. Could you speak a little bit to the to the challenges that we're currently looking mm-hmm. at?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's this famous Arthur C. Clarke quote, which is how inappropriate to call this planet Earth when it's quite clearly ocean. You know, seventy percent of the surface of the Earth is is covered by ocean. So only a third of it is actually land. And uh, that ocean, you know, is important. To, it produces a lot. Most of the oxygen we breathe, all the water that we drink, ultimately come, You know, evaporates from the oceans. It's a huge source of seafood for the world. So. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that our very existence depends on the health of the ocean. Um, so, you know, we, we do need to, to protect the ocean and then treat it well. And unfortunately, you know, we really haven't. And, um, you know, I think as vast as, the, as the, the ocean seems, we're finding that, you know, man can actually have an impact at that global scale. And, and plastics are a perfect example. You know, these, uh, organizations have been doing research trips. Um, you know sailing across the world's ocean and uh, finding plastics everywhere they look. you know they estimate there's over five trillion pounds of plastic or particles of plastic in the in the global oceans, and that plastic's having an impact on the ecosystem at many levels.
2: Wow, and what and what what can we do about it? I mean, do we need to go out into the oceans and and harvest these things back in, or or we get them, catch them when they go on the shores? What what kind of impact? Yeah. I mean, what what is that doing to the environment? I mean, what's the end result of all this plastic coming sure. up um, out there? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because the first
3: impact, uh, first instinct most people have is, you know, how do we actually go clean this up? And I do think right. that's that's a, a reasonable response, but. Uh, but what we really got to do is stop the bleeding. You know, eighty percent of that plastic comes from land. Um, you know, and so it's it's our litter, it's our waste that's uh, you know, ultimately resulting in the stuff flowing and down into the oceans. Um, and the impacts it's having are multiple. So the plastic breaks down. It's called photo degrading and to smaller and smaller pieces. And those pieces of plastic are actually being consumed by fish, by birds, by turtles, by marine mammals. Some are choking on them. Others are, um, you know, ingesting that plastic. And so it's really having this impact. In fact, there's now a lot of suspicion that actually that plastic absorbs pollutants in the ocean, the fish eat it, and we eat the fish were actually being polluted by the plastic that we put in the ocean in the first place. So,
4: wow. you know,
3: addressing this, global plastic problem is a, is a really serious thing that we need to do. And, you know, the reality is we're using plastic in really silly ways. So we you, get, know, you know, there's easy fixes to
2: this. Yeah. You know, I, I had the privilege of talking to Dr. Walter Cranion, a, a leading toxin expert a few years ago, and he'd just gotten back from Alaska. And he said that a newborn baby born to the Eskimos had over 200 toxins in their body the, the minute they were born from, from the food that the mother had been eating yeah. and everything. So, I mean, it, it's just amazing the, the impact that's having. What do you think are the top threats? I mean, is it plastic? Are there other th- threats to to the, to our ocean environment?
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's funny, at a fundamental level we're uh, taking too many things out and we're putting too many things in. So, um, you know, we're taking out too many fish, overfishing. That's why, like the shark populations are down, and we're also, you know, polluting the ocean with urban runoff, with plastics, um, and uh, oil drilling is another big threat. You know, we see, oil as we saw in the Gulf, and uh, more recently in Santa Barbara. You know, right. if we're out there drilling for oil, spills are going to be inevitable. So, you know, and a lot of the issues where, you know, if you look at a map of the, of the globe at night, you can see light all around the coasts, and that's because we're really a coastal people. And so we live right on the coast, and, uh, you know, so our impact on the coast are affecting the oceans, too. We're loving them to death, essentially.
2: Right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take a quick break and get that out of the way. When we come back, I want to share a little bit about Surfrider, how it got started, and and some of the things you guys are up to today. So thank you for joining us. You're listening to Up Close with Chris Tinney, and we'll be right back after this break.
5: Would it be crazy if you just stopped everything, packed your bags, and left? (laughs) For a week, a month, a year. What if you left for two years? Would people think you'd lost your mind? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To build libraries and fill them with stories. Prepare a meal with food you helped grow. To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself. Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov.
0: Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? NonprofitFundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at NonprofitFundraising.com. That's NonprofitFundraising.com. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. To call in and be part of the show, dial 1 866 472 5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1 866 472 5788. And now, back to the show.
2: And welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. We're speaking with Dr. Chad Nelson, the CEO of Surfriders today, sharing with us some of the challenges that we're facing out in our oceans. He he was sharing with us about the the plastics that are piling up there, their campaign that they had last month, along with other nonprofits worldwide to bring awareness to those challenges. And we also talked a little bit about the uh, shark attack out there with Mick Fanning. He indicated that, uh, you know, it's debatable whether it was a shark attack because there were, you could see that it got tangled up in his cord. I think is what he was saying. But man, Kudos to both Mick and Julian, and Julian for swimming out to him to give him some help. Yeah, amazing. So so, uh, well, Chad. Let me ask you this. So so, we've got the oil drilling. We have the we, we have the um, the plastics that are going out there, and there's all these. You know, they, boy, they they seem really big when you think about them. I mean, you think about the ocean yeah. and these things. And then I look at the Surf Rider organization that started more than thirty years ago by some surfers that were basically wanting to protect their favorite surf spot. And they got yeah. involved, and that that effort today has now resulted in, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, eight, more than 80 chapters, schools and college clubs getting involved, 250,000 supporters. What? T- tell me a little bit about Surfrider and, and your mission.
3: Yeah, the Surfrider Foundation, you know, one of the things that's unique
2: about the Surfrider Foundation is we're dedicated to the protection
3: and enjoyment of the world's ocean waves and beaches through a powerful activist network. That's our mission statement. And so, you know, there are all these people out there enjoying the coasts, whether they're surfers, they're walking, they're kite boarders, they're fishermen, divers. And so, you know, we all get it's the number one destination in America. We all love our coasts and oceans. And so really what Surfrider was able to do is harness that passion that people feel and sort of turn it into protection. And so, you know, starting in uh, 1984, the response has just been overwhelming. And so we're a grassroots-based organization, which means we work locally all 84 of those chapters are volunteer chapters, and my office is really designed to help support all these local, you know, coastal enthusiasts and help them figure out how they can most protect, effectively protect the coast and the ocean and, and their, you know, part of the world. Um, and, you know, almost all these problems at the end of the day start at the local level, and so, you know, we can also solve them at the local level, and Surfrider's trying to take that and then scale it up to the state and to the federal level. And so, you know, we, we're working locally, and at the same time, we're working at the federal level, trying to, you know, improve water quality, protect beach access. We can still get down there and use the beaches and the oceans, um, ensure that our oceans are protected from new and emerging uses like oil drilling and uh, aquaculture and wind and wave energy, and also making sure that we, when we build along our coastlines, we're doing it in ways that don't, don't interfere with the coasts. So that's really the focus of the organization. It's just amazing activists that are out there, you know, working in the name of coastal and ocean protection.
2: Well, what kind of, I, I was on your website, Surfrider.org, and I, I looked at all the campaigns that were going on around the country, and then they had this, the history of, of Surfrider, and it was pretty cool. It goes all the way back to the founders and, and some of the work they did. Can you give us some specific examples of some of the campaigns that, that you've been involved in?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um so, the founders, um, Glenn Henning, Lance Carson, and tom Pratt were, were surfers in Southern California, and uh, they surfed at Malibu, Surfrider Beach, which is one of you know one of the most famous surf spots in the world. It's the home of Gidget. Um, you know, and there was two things happening there one, there was water pollution and the other was the uh, inlet that of the creek that washed out and created the surf spot was being altered so the surfing area there was being polluted and changed, and so these guys decided to, uh, you know, take action and, and engage in the decision-making process to try to improve both of those problems, and they really made a huge impact. Um, and, you know, other surfers around the world saw this and uh, started taking action, and, and it's sort of the groundswell built, for, built from there. Um, in the early 90s, we actually had the second largest clean water act, uh, clean water act lawsuit in the nation and we stopped a pulp mill that was polluting a surf spot up in humboldt in northern california um that had hundreds of violations um and that was another thing that really put surf rider on the map you know and since then we've had hundreds and hundreds of victories we've opened up surfing all over the east coast we've improved beach access um we had a a, a really big win in southern california where we stopped a uh a highway that was going to destroy a state park and pristine watershed. And one of the best surf spots, a place called trestles, um, one of the best surf spots in the United States, the fifth most visited state park in California. Um, And it's really a testament to the power of grassroots action.
2: Um, yeah, that's what I really love about your website. I mean, when I'm on the Surfrider.org, I can click on campaigns. You have got a tab "Take Action." You know, and then you click on campaigns, and it shows you, you know, from the Great Lakes to to Florida to California to in what, you're in Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Canada, Alaska. Uh, it, it, it's amazing all the all the different campaigns you have going. What do you think are the are the biggest threats right now? Are are most of the campaigns uh, cleanup campaigns, or are the environmental campaigns, or you w- what do you see as the major focus today? Sure. You know, surf, it's it's
3: interesting. Surfrider has sort of two roles. We we, we do um, what I consider like everyday stewardship. So these chapter folks are locals living in their community and they want to take care of the place. And so we do a lot of beach cleanups um, in places where it's appropriate. They do a lot of dune planting to help um, fortify dunes in the Gulf Coast on the East Coast. Uh, we have a project called Ocean-Friendly Gardens where we're helping people landscape their... Their gardens, so they would use less water, don't use uh, herbicides and pesticides, and reduce the amount of runoff. So there are people out there every single weekend taking action to sort of protect and uh, improve their coastlines. Um, And then the other side of it is we have these campaigns, which you're talking about, and we're focused on you know specific decisions that are going to be made. um, You know, and sometimes we're promoting those if it's a plastic bag ban, like the, the state of California is poised to ban single-use plastic bags statewide. That's something we're a huge advocate of. So that's a state law that we're strongly behind. Um, and in other cases, we're opposing things we think are bad ideas. One of the biggest current threats is a plan to drill for oil off the uh, South Atlantic coast of the United States, so from so Virginia down to Florida. you know, And there's been a 30-year moratorium on oil drilling, Starting from back from the Santa Barbara oil spill in the 60s and Exxon Valdez up in Alaska and, uh, you know, they're reconsidering drilling for oil off the South Atlantic coast and it's just a dirty and dangerous business and something we don't need, you know, let alone climate change, which is something else we could talk about. (laughs)
2: Well, yeah, and for, for people that are thinking of getting involved, so if they were to, to get involved and want to help with that cause, you share with them, is it a legislative thing, contacting legislators and an awareness on the streets uh, with leafleting yeah, and in, signs? Yeah, in, or- the, in the
3: case of the, in case of the oil drilling, um, you know, this is a federal issue. It's an executive issue, which means it's the, uh, the president's office. They're the ones, yeah. the Department of Interior is ultimately going to decide. So, If they go to the front page of our website, there's a take action button right there. <clears throat> and they can contact their local legislators and the and the um, administrative administration and tell them they think this is a bad idea.
2: Okay, I want to I want to get to climate change and I want to spend a good amount of time on that because it's there's so much misunderstanding out there with different information coming from different. Uh, depends. I guess it depends on where you get your news. <laughs> but sure. The, but the uh, I wanted the plastic bag ban. I saw something, and I don't know if it was Oregon or San Francisco, but one of them they said they they, they banned the one use bag, and then the manufacturer came out with a thicker bag that was even more dangerous. But but since it theoretically could be used more than once, have you heard anything on that or or? Yeah,
3: that it, was in Hawaii. Wow, okay. Um, and so in Hawaii, we've essentially created a de facto—you know—each island of the five major islands in Hawaii is a county. And so, Surfrider and others helped um, ban single-use plastic bags in each one of those counties, which created a de facto state bag in Oahu, the biggest island, was the last one, and that's where we see these uh, manufacturers trying to get around the rule through this technicality and the thickness of the bag. Um, you know, because if it's a, if it's a truly reusable. Plastic bag. That's okay because the, the whole goal here is to get rid of those single-use plastic bags. You know, the average right. person uses five or six hundred of those things in a year, and um, we shouldn't be making something made of plastic that we use for ten minutes from the store to your car, from your car to your house, um, and then lasts forever. It's just a—it's a terrible waste of plastic. And you know, we call them urban tumbleweeds because you know, everyone's seen them. Those things catch, they're so light, they blow in the wind and too many of them end up in the ocean. So, uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate sort of cynical, uh, ploy to get around the, the ban and kind of, you know, doesn't really honor the goal here, which is to ultimately reduce litter and ocean pollution. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out either, you know, hopefully from, they'll either bow to pressure and stop it, or maybe they'll have to change the legislation.
2: Yeah. Is there a way to address that going forward with the, I guess it has to be written in somehow something that's even (laughs) thicker than the thickness thing. Yeah. I mean, at a certain
3: point, the bag becomes thick enough that I think, you know, it's
2: too expensive for the producer to make to
3: be a single use bag. And instead we'll start using those things repeatedly. And that's the whole goal here is, you know, There's a big debate about plastic or paper, but the whole idea is to use one bag, and if you use it for long enough over the course of years, ultimately it's going to have no impact,
2: and it's also going to reduce the amount of these bags we find in the environment. Yeah, I'm a big believer that, that that's one of the simple things that people can do. And I love your turtle bag, your tote bag that you have on Surfrider for 8 bucks. So people yeah. are looking for a bag. <laughs> they want some swag, and they want to be cool um, when they're at the store. <laughs> they can well, use the yeah, Surf Rider there's a story bag. there, you know, because these bags, when
3: they float in the ocean, look like jellyfish. Jellyfish are what our sea turtles eat. You know, sea turtles around the world are a, a magnificent creature that swim, you know, between California and Japan. They cross the oceans, you know. Just like uh, yeah. Finding Nemo, and uh, they ingest these plastic bags because they think they're they're jellyfish, you know, and they choke and die. And so it's just a tragic wow. thing. And so it's a good reminder that you know you can u- buy a reusable bag and save a turtle.
2: Oh, that's awesome! Well, it's got a turtle. On. I mean, I'm going to buy that as soon as we hang up. <laughs> that's great. Well, let's. That's, that's, uh... Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to take, take the next break because I want to have this next chunk to talk about climate change and how it's affecting and, and, and get the real scoop on it. So uh, stay I with want. us through the break. When we get back, we're going to find out the real deal on climate change and how it's impacting our oceans and our environment with Dr. Chad Nelson.
1: At Habitat for Humanity, why isn't a question, it's the answer. It's why we build. So that a child can live in a healthy home where they can learn and grow to their full potential. It's why we build. For families searching for stability and for those wanting to help themselves and their neighbors, it's why we build. To break down barriers and establish vibrant communities filled with hope, it's why we build. To offer families a hand up, not a hand out, and to partner with them to provide a safe, decent, and affordable place to live, it's why we build. To open doors of new opportunity, and the promise of a new start for a better life. It's why we build. You see, Habitat for Humanity builds so much more than houses. We build homes, communities, and hope. What will you build? Visit Habitat.org.
0: Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? NonprofitFundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at NonprofitFundraising.com. That's NonprofitFundraising.com.
4: What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected... you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business? Or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS? What if you established your own path? One that others might follow? Would you rather make your own way or spend your life saying, what if life is calling? How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or go to peacecorps.gov.
0: Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. To call in and be part of the show, dial 1-866-472-5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1-866-472-5788. And now, back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. Today we're visiting with Dr. Chad Michaels, the CEO of Surfrider Foundation. at surfrider.org. And I know we're packing it in today, folks. But I, I really hope that the, you know, if you're listening to this, that you think about taking action with this group. We were just sharing on the break. You know, how exciting it is to be working with people that are excited. I mean, I, I love being around people that are up to something. And the great thing about surf riders is you mentioned their mission is not just to protect the environment, but to also promote the enjoyment of it. And I'll tell you something. If you want to have fun and meet a great group of people, go to a surf rider event closest to you. And you're gonna meet some people that, that are conscious and, and making a real difference. And and it's exciting to see because you know, I, I think Chad, that's what we need to do is build a small army of of people around the world and around the country that that are willing to take action on a local level and and on a national level, as you spoke about. And I guess that's Becoming more and more important as we enter into this new phase on Earth that they're talking about climate change, and I've heard everything from, you know, it's a myth to, you know, I, it's funny. I, I saw the Stephen Colbert meme. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I was but... just going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said, you know, it's not it's there's no global warming because it rained today, and there's no food, no there's no food shortage in the world because I just ate. <laughs> you know, something like that. It was, yeah. it was pretty funny. So maybe you could explain to us a little bit of, especially with you know your your education with the environment and the oceans, what, what do you see hap- What? First of all, what is global warming? Let's start on that level so we're all on the same page, and then you can share with us the impact that you see it having.
3: Sure. Yeah, and, you know, so
2: over, oh, 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 you know,
3: millions of years, the uh, Earth's temperature has changed, and, you know, thus ice ages, and, and so it's warmed and cooled over, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of years, and it all has to do with sort of the balance of carbon in the atmosphere, and, you know, the, the Earth's atmosphere is this buffer. Obviously, space is incredibly cold, and if there was no atmosphere, we'd all be freezing. And so, you know, the sun's energy shines down, bounces back, and gets absorbed by our atmosphere, and that's what keeps the, the planet so temperate. If we alter that chemistry by adding more carbon dioxide, which is a heat-trapping gas, we're going to warm up the planet. And so, you know, it's pretty unequivocal in the science. Another Colbert, he had sort of the 97 versus the three scientists um, appear, like, instead of having one on each side, which is sort of the typical news format, you know, 97% of the papers published talk about the human's impact on global climate change. So since the Industrial Revolution, when we started burning fossil fuels, we've been emitting more and more carbon into the atmosphere that is absorbing more of the sun's heat and it's warming the planet. And uh, I think at this point, that's unequivocal and, uh, you know, an issue we need to face. And, you know, the only way to do that is to reduce the amount of emissions that we're putting out in the atmosphere. I mean, the good news for this and all these other problems we've talked about is they're all solvable. So there's, you know, there's ways to get off of fossil fuels and still maintain. We don't have to go back to being cavemen. Um, But, there's also these, you know, and you hear a lot about climate change, and it's having a huge impact on the oceans. And that's where at Surfrider Foundation, we're really, you know, we're really concerned about the impacts of climate change on the oceans. So, you know, and there's what, really what, two or well, what three kind of impact? primary impacts. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, the, you know, um, one, of the, one of the biggest impacts is that uh, as the sort of ice in North and South Pole begin to melt, we're going to see the sea levels rise. You know, and so depending on the models and the predictions, you know, sea level has risen about eight inches in the last hundred years already. Uh, That's already causing coastal erosion problems and, you know, problems in these islands like the Maldives, these low-lying islands in um, in the Pacific and then the Indian Ocean. So, you know, we're already seeing impacts from this little amount of climate change in, you know, the next hundred years, it's going to increase another foot to three feet to six feet, depending on the model. And that's going to have a huge impact on our coast. That's going to threaten cities like Los Angeles and Boston and New York and all these coastal cities and these ports, which make the world run. Um, And then one of the other big changes is ocean acidification. So as the oceans absorb all this carbon we're pumping into the atmosphere, that carbon goes into the ocean and the oceans are becoming more acidic. And that matters because there's a lot of sea creatures that are going to be impacted by this increased acidification. Anything in the ocean that has a shell, whether it's a plankton or a lobster or a clam, all of those shells will be, you know, eroded or impacted. So these really could have global impacts
2: on the ocean. Well, wow. And do you see, I mean, it just boggles my mind that that people are fighting against taking the actions that are needed. Is it, I mean, are you kind of going up against big companies to do this or is it just, you know, the inertia of, of, of the government? What do you, what do you see as the biggest challenge to, to being able you know, to implement? It's some interesting in
3: my experience, I feel like the United States is far behind. I feel like other countries around the world have, you know, long accepted this and obviously the politics of getting a, uh, a climate and global climate negotiation are tough, uh, right. a lot of, a lot of, but you know, there's a huge, uh, convention taking place in, uh, Paris in December of this year where there's a lot of hope that there's going to be, you know, sort of a global agreement to really try to reduce carbon emissions. Um, one of the interesting things is that, and this is one of the things circle were focused on is that, even if we stopped pumping carbon through the atmosphere tomorrow, there's about a hundred year lag time in the in, in the impact. So the oceans are going to continue to warm. We're going to see sea level rise, um, oh, and acidification right. increase. So we're really focused on what we're calling adaptation. So if the sea level is going to rise and the coasts are going to erode. That's okay. As long as we're smart about our planning and we move away from those coasts and plan for that change, we're going to be in great. And, you know, Sandy, Superstorm Sandy that hit the East Coast is really kind of a a lesson about that. We, we, you know, those are the kind of impacts we want to try to avoid in the future.
2: Yeah, and prepare for them. And, and with the drought, for instance, in California, I know you're you're in Southern California. Is that? Yep. Do you feel that's kind of the effect of global warming?
3: Yeah, you know, it's it's always hard to sort of take one um, incident. You know, if it's snowing in in uh, Washington right. DC, a lot of people think climate change is a hoax. But so it's always hard to take one incident, even the sort of multi-year drought in and say, yes, that's a result of climate change, I think there's a lot of indications that sort of the, the drought is the kind of thing we're likely to see more often, and so it very well could be related to climate change. Um, that said, you know, the, the West Coast of the United States and other parts of the country are really, really suffering um, from lack of rainfall, and it's really, you know, there's, there's water conservation mandates, um, and so, you know, it's... And one of the things that we... We've been facing, as a result of that, are plans for desalination plants up and down the West Coast. There's 20 permits to suck ocean water out, get rid of the salt, and turn that into drinking water, um, which has some challenges. Um, And uh, In the meantime, we can do a lot better job of both
2: conserving water, recycling water, and reusing water that we're already using. Yeah, I saw in the news that a lot of people were upset that the, a lot of the water companies that bottle water are, are located in California. But I, I guess that isn't a big percentage of the actual available water. So it, they were saying,
3: "Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not sure as much as it's the percentage. It's just this idea that right. everybody else is out there having to conserve water. You know, and and I mean, bottled water is is the is an incredible yeah, thing. It's more it's more expensive than gasoline." Um, when you wow. look at it per gallon, um, you know, it has lower health standards than the water most people get out of their tap. Um, and it's incredibly wasteful because, you know, those water bottles are another single-use plastic product that ends up uh,
2: polluting the environment. Well, wow, it sounds, so, like, you know, sounds like you really have your, your hands full at uh, Surfrider with all of these issues.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the thing that makes, I think, working at Surfrider fun and motivating is, you know like you said earlier, you know, you, you can look at all these problems and, and get depressed, or you can start taking actions and you can see those actions start to make a difference and I, I actually find it incredibly motivating to be working with all these um, you know people from all over the country that are volunteers in our chapter because they are making a difference every single day and so you look at the progress towards those problems and you you start to feel really really good about that and feel like we can make a difference.
2: Well, what if somebody gets involved and they go to a local chapter, what so is it typically a, an event where they're they're going out on the beach or they are they is it each chapter different as to as to what they're doing? Maybe you could break the ice for people that are thinking about getting involved.
3: Yeah. I mean every chapter sort of has a sort of unique flavor and they want to reflect the local culture and norms in their and their communities. But usually, you know, we do a mix of social events. We try to get people out to surf movies, we do educational talks, we have experts who come in and, and talk about ocean and coastal topics. Um, we have people who are really interested in getting their hands dirty. They can get involved in our ocean from gardens program, or as you said, go out and clean up a beach. You know, what we'll often do is clean up the beach and then characterize the stuff we find, cigarette butts, plastic bags, bottle caps, and then try to use that information to show, inform our, our policies. So one of the things we've done is ban smoking at a lot of beaches. And the reason we've done that is because it's the number one source of trash found at the beach. Um, so you can go out there, pick up the beach. It's very satisfying to look back and see the beach clean. And then use the information you gain to actually proactively go out and help stop the pollution the next time. Um, you know, we get involved in city and local politics if that's your interest. Um, but there's really a way for anyone to plug in. You know, photographers, musicians, uh, graphic artists. Um, usually, it's a really welcoming group, and if you show up at one of these chapter meetings, you know you're hopefully going to leave motivated and and feel like there's a way for you and to use your skills and interests to chip in to help protect our coast.
2: Are are the high school groups and the college groups doing? I mean, are they kind of like a chapter? They just happen to be at a college, or is that kind of a, a different type of deal?
3: Yeah, I mean, a lot of cases, um, both in high school and college, they're looking to do you know these kind of service projects, and so they're a little bit more. The, the chapters tend to be more ongoing they're working on community issues sometimes you know over years whereas the the, the clubs at the high schools and colleges you know you're in and high you're, you've got your four years you're in and out in a blink of an eye and so we really try to focus them on specific projects so they can focus on a project whether it's you know going out and measuring water quality at a beach or uh, working on a plastic education campaign we've had a lot of um you know, campuses decide to stop using plastic products, and so the only difference is really they're younger, and uh, we try to get it have it be a little bit more project oriented, so they can get it get
2: something done while they're involved. So, so what do you think are the biggest challenges facing your organization? You know, coming up over the next few years? If you've, I mean, you've got some big, you know, it's not like David and Goliath, but but you've got the oil companies trying to drill off the coast. You've got manufacturers of bags trying to skirt the issues. Um, you know, what do you see as your your biggest challenges over the next couple of years?
3: Yeah, yeah, no, it is a David and Goliath uh, uh, fight for sure. You know, surf is not alone. There's a lot of great organizations out there doing similar work. You know, for us, it's I think it's really a numbers game. You know, we we have a really successful blueprint. We know how to organize. You know, if we could, we have a hundred odd campaigns on our website going at any time. If we could double that number to 200 or, or greater, you know, we'd have a greater impact. And that's really a matter of getting more people to join and get involved as volunteers and finding more supporters who could support us through donations and membership. And I think it's literally just a numbers game that it's a scaling thing. And, you know, we've been growing and, and we need to keep doing that and we'll just add to well our impact.
2: And if people are in a location that doesn't have a, an existing chapter, is it pretty easy to, to start one up and, and get some friends together and, and do something?
3: Yep. Yep. We, we tend to focus on coastal areas for good chapters, but if you're not coastal and you visit the beach or you go to a location, you can tap into sort of your favorite place. <clears throat> um, you, you know, a lot of times we have state and national campaigns, too, so, you know, anyone in the country can uh, get involved with our uh, opposition to offshore oil drilling because that's a, a national issue. Um, so we, we try to find ways for people to plug in with Surfrider regardless of where they live.
2: Yeah, I see a lot of people, you know, I'm starting to do it now, too, go by your Facebook page, and you guys got some great pictures and some great posts that are educational and well-designed that, you know, people can share on social media as well that I think helps bring awareness
3: as well. Yeah, I mean, and that's a great way to plug in. There's really a vibrant, active community of folks that are out there on social media who are sort of, you know, using that as a vehicle to get engaged, and so there's just so many ways.
2: All right. Well, that's great. Well, we're going to take care of our last break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Chad Nelson, CEO of Surfrider Foundation.
5: I'm Elena. I have a master's degree in giving hope to children in Ethiopia. I'm John. My farm experience helped villagers in the Philippines feed themselves.
1: I'm Nanaya. I have a degree in making an impact for generations to come.
4: If you have a degree in agriculture, the environment, or teaching English, you actually have a degree in doing more than you ever thought possible. Peace Corps volunteers can truly make a difference in the lives of people all over the world. With your skills and education, you could help create an irrigation system for a small village in Paraguay, or share new teaching methods to educators in Moldova. The experiences you'll gain in the Peace Corps will stay with you forever. This is your chance to make a real difference, a difference only you can make. Explore how the Peace Corps can fit into your future. Visit PeaceCorps.gov.
1: My resume.
4: My resume.
5: My resume now includes changing lives.
0: Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? NonprofitFundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at NonprofitFundraising.com. That's NonprofitFundraising.com. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tenney, To call in and be part of the show, dial 1-866-472-5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1-866-472-5788. And now, back to the show.
2: Well, welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. We're talking to the CEO of Surfrider Foundation. Dr. Chad Nelson today. We talked a little bit about the global warming, the effect it's having on the oceans, the the plastics that are are being, you know, the floating islands that we now have, the oil drilling off the coast, the the, the chapters that are out there, the more than, you know, a quarter of a million supporters and activists that are part of the Surfrider organization, and we shared a little bit about the chapters, because this show is not about sitting around on our butt doing nothing. This show is about doing something, right? And so that's why we want to cover all this information for you. And, And I think one of the things that I get really excited about is when I go to Surfrider.org, I see a tab that says take action. I, I love that. I mean, I, you wouldn't believe how many nonprofits don't have a way for you to do anything other than send money. And, and money is important. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, every nonprofit, if you want to help them on their cause, you know, the, the, the money is what they need to help bring awareness and help support these chapters and, and, and you know, accomplish their mission that's stated on their website, which, again, is not just the protection of, of our oceans and our beaches, but it's also the enjoyment of the beaches. And I'll tell you, they take that to heart. If you go on their website and you look at the pictures of all these groups, they're they're, they're having fun. <laughs> they're picking up the beaches and then they're surfing and they're having a get-together afterwards. And I looked at a few events on Facebook and uh, it, was, it was very welcoming. Um, Chad, let me ask you this, like the oil drilling and the plastics, you know, sometimes we, we do something and we come home and we're thinking, well, did I really have an impact? I mean, is the oil drilling, is it just to the, the, the um, effect that if they were to have a spill, are there more dangers than that? Uh, what, you know, what, what kind of impact do you see all this oil, you know, the proposed oil drilling happen, happening? Sure. Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, at a fundamental level, I think it, one of the things that really struck me about this planning for the South Atlantic, you know, off of Virginia, the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida is that, you know, today you, there's no oil derricks out there. And, you know, if this plan passes in the future, there will be, and that's a very stark difference. And, you know, there's, there's of course the thing we all know about, which is this sort of fear of, of big spills like we saw in the Gulf and more recently a smaller spill, but still really significant in Santa Barbara, you know, and and spills are inevitable. That's going to happen eventually. And so that's a concern obviously, and they don't happen very often, but when they do, the impacts tend to be horrific, but there's two other really important sort of impacts, you know, um, there are chronic small spills in any oil drilling business. It's just a part of doing business since the Gulf oil spill five years ago, Um, there's been 9,800 small spills. And so if you see a time lapse of those on a map, you know, by the end of that five-year period, it's black everywhere. So, you know, about 880,000 gallons of oil are, are released through these small spills every year. So it's still enough to have a huge impact. The other thing is that you end up with a lot of infrastructure, you know, um, on shore. So it leads to a lot of industrial development of the coastline to support the oil drilling offshore. So it can really sort of transform the coastline. And so these are the reasons that we think offshore oil drilling not a, not a good idea, not the answer, uh, you know, here and, and further, we just talked about climate change. You know, ultimately we need to get off oil and transition to cleaner fuels and, um, you know, drilling off the, the coast of the United States isn't going to change the price of gas. It's not really going to get us off foreign oil. Um, there's just not enough oil out there to do it. And so, you know, the only thing it's really going to do
2: is, um, is, is pollute our coastlines, which is something we just don't need. You know, I've yet you know, to see... The plastics, they talk about, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, well, they talk about these oil cleanups, you know, we can clean out. I mean, I've yet to see any place that was back to where it was before there was a spill. I mean, the, the impacts are just huge. Yeah, I mean, the Exxon Valdez spilled in 1989,
3: 1990, you know, and there's still measurable impacts. You can still pick up gravel on the beaches in uh, Prince William Sound and find oil on them, you know, and, and the, the impacts have gone on for decades. It's in the food chain affecting the otters and the birds and everyone else. And so the the impacts are, are lasting. And, you know, as I said, after Santa Barbara, the, the sad thing about an oil spill is once it happens, it's too late. You know, of course, we're yeah. going to do our best to clean it up, but there's only so much you can do. The pro- the problems already happened. So prevention is the the really the only solution.
2: Well, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand that you know your the impact and the far-reaching. Uh, you know, how insidious it is, because it reaches. There's so many different things that are affected, and it's the same with the the plastic and the and the pollution. I you mentioned the the turtles. I you know those are amazing. I got to swim with some when I was out in Hawaii, and it was just un It blew my mind, and to to know that the plastic bags that I'm using, or you know, you know I don't use them now, but that I used to use would you know, would have that kind of impact. <laughs> what other what other you know what other impacts of of, of those the bags the pollution is it having. On, sure,
3: uh, wildlife. Yeah, and one quick correction. It's, uh, you know, it's funny. There's been this sort of um, idea that there's these giant plastic islands of pollution out in the middle of the ocean, and they're actually not sort of visible floating masses that you could see from space. Um, okay. <laughs> what really happens is the, e- e- the oceans have these uh, something called a gyre, which is a big spinning current, and there's sort of one in the northern hemisphere and one in the southern hemisphere on the major oceans. And so that big swirling pattern of currents sort of circles around and, and concentrates anything that's in the ocean in the center in the middle of the ocean and so the, the concentration of plastic is higher below the, the ocean but it's not really an island so the idea is it's more like smoke where you where, where you see a heavier concentration it's sort of almost invisible but this isn't actually visible so uh but the real point of it is is that there's Plastic is ubiquitous. The ocean's more like a soup of plastic, and and that's equally frightening. Um, You know, and one of the more recent, um, it reminded me, one of the more recent campaigns we've been focused on with other groups is uh, this idea of microbeads, Um, and we're finding these microbeads. They found them in the Great Lakes. They just went on an expedition between Bermuda and the United States and the Bahamas, and they found these microbeads everywhere.
2: Um, are, you, are you talking about the beads mic- that people make jewelry out of, like the little? The, no, what do
3: you mean? No, no. You, you know what these things are? They're they're tiny, like a pinhead size bead, even smaller. They're used in amazingly enough. They're used in your toothpaste. So if you buy sort of the like whitening abrasive toothpaste, wow. they're used in. Face, they're used in those face cleaners. Um, and so they're putting these little tiny beads of plastic in there to add some abrasiveness to help the cleaning power. But what happens with those things, right? They go down the drain and they end up in the ocean and they're finding them everywhere. Um, you know, and there's a lot of campaigns. States are starting to actually ban microbeats now, which is great because we, it's, it's one of those, it's just like the single-use plastic bags. It's just a bad uh, idea and something that's easily avoidable, um, can use natural abrasives. he use apricot pits and walnut shells and other things that degrade. So this is sort of an emerging new finding about the uh, problem with plastic pollution in the ocean.
2: Wow, another reason to use uh, organic toothpaste then. <laughs> yeah. Are they... yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, this well, isn't man, something you, know, you're, you can surprised. see with the naked eye. You'd have to scoop it. I mean, is this something you can see with the naked eye? Yeah,
3: or is yeah it... tiny, tiny. You can probably see them. They're tiny, tiny little pieces they are tough to see. We, I don't, they do these trawls, and they scoop with a really fine net. You know, they drag them through the ocean, they pull them up, and they're finding little beads everywhere. Wow. That's totally cool. avoidable.
2: Yeah, I mean that that's unbelievable. Well, well uh Chad, I really appreciate you being on the show today. I, I want to encourage everybody who's been listening to, to go to surfrider.org. Check out the chapters. They've got a thing called campaigns. You click on that, it brings up the map of the United States. You can click your area or one you're near to, join in their campaign. If you're a school, college, or not in a location where there is a chapter, shoot them a message on their website. That's uh, what I did. You'll get a quick response, and you'll find out how you can be involved. And, and uh, Chad, thank you so much for everything new, and, and a big shout out to all the Surfrider activists and volunteers out there and supporters.
3: Hey, thanks, Chris. It was a real pleasure talking
2: to you. Thanks for being on. Well, folks, a couple of things before we go. Don't let the show end here. We're going to continue online on Facebook and on ChrisTinney.com. The show will be posted uh, on iTunes, TunedIn, and Google Play all within the next uh, probably 48 hours. You'll be able to see that. Share this show. This is a show that you should share with people so that they can, there, there's so much information in here. Everything from the plastic bags that we're using to the toothpaste you're using to how you can get involved with a group of people like surf riders. I, you know, When you see the pictures on their website, it just looks like a lot of fun and you're making a difference. And that's really what it's all about. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Next week, we've got some great guests line up on our show. We're uh, I, It's either next week or the week after. We're working with Sea uh, Shepherd to have Captain Wilson on. And we've going to, well, I can't tell you the other guests we're going to have on after that. So thank you to all of you that are, are listening and sharing the show. This has been Up Close with Chris Tinney. We'll see you next week.
0: This is the end of the show you don't have to let the conversation end now. Visit ChrisTinney.com to learn more about today's topic, listen to past shows, and connect with like-minded people. Up Close with Chris Tinney is broadcast live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel and rebroadcast online and throughout North America in select markets. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and we'll see you next week on Up Close with Chris Tinney.